Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? So pretty much you guys are all disappointed we did not get raptured yesterday. Is that the deal? I mean, everybody's just bummed about that. They're just like, oh man, I don't know if I can go on. I really thought this was the end of it. I gave away all my money yesterday. And man, I feel really bad if you did that. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, <laughs> by the way, my name is TJ and I am one of the pastors here. And I, we're just glad that you guys are here with us this morning. I'm really, honestly, I'm glad we didn't get raptured. There's still a lot of work to be done. It's a lot of great things that God has a purpose and plan for each and every one of our lives that he wants to see play out within us. So I'm glad that we're here. We've been in this series, Jesus, the man, the myth, the legend over the last couple of weeks. And we've just really been talking about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives and, and what is this whole idea that he has. And, and one of the things that we're just going to kind of dive in here, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be spending the majority of our time in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 today. So if you guys want to go ahead and t turn there, um, you know, one of the things that I see that happens to a lot of us, our spiritual trouble arises when we have a skewed or inaccurate view of who Jesus is. When we think that something different than who really Jesus was. And I think that this is a major problem in the Christian life today is that we really, really don't truly understand who Jesus is and what he was and what he wants to do in our lives. And we have this inaccurate view and it messes up our whole theology of belief system. And, and so we dove in last week and we talked about how a lot of times in life we put Jesus in the backseat of our lives. And one of the main ways that we have a tendency to put Jesus in the backside, backseat of our lives is by committing idolatry, is by putting other things it's basically making anything other than Jesus your ultimate in life. And so money could be your ultimate. Your kids could be your ultimate. It doesn't have to be something that's extremely destructive. A lot of times it's something that's morally neutral in your life that ends up becoming the number one thing in your life. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we're really, really going to try to do is we are going to try to help us move Jesus from the backseat of our lives to the front seat. Put him in the place that he should be, where, where he wants to be to really guide and direct our lives. And so we're going to kind of go back and review a little bit about last week. And last week we talked about this whole idea that you're going through life and at some point you have this reality of who you are. You know, you just figure out that this is me and, and you know, my life is a little bit jacked up and it's not the greatest. It's not uh, fulfilling everything that I wanted it to be. And I've got some issues. I've got some problems. And then we have this realization that there is a God. And that this God is holy and just. And we start seeing this holy and just God. And over here we look at ourselves and we're like, man, there's just this huge gap between that. And then maybe somebody tells us or we read it in a book or we, we hear it online or we watch a, a televangelist. And we hear about the person of Christ and how he comes in and he came and he gave his life. And so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. And he died uh, on the cross. And all of a sudden this gap between ourselves and God is fulfilled by this, this amazing grace that God gave us in his son, Jesus. And, and man, things are going good at this point. Man, we get passionate about God. We're passionate about pursuing him. We show up to church early like a whole bunch of you guys did this week. I'm so proud of you. It's like the first time ever that we had like 70% of our church here before church started. You guys should just give yourselves a hand clap right there. You guys are making progress. You guys are moving. You're, you're bridging the gap between the current you and the, anyways, um, <laughs> but I was just awesome. Thank you, Bones, back there. Uh, it's just awesome. You have, this, you have this dynamite relationship with Jesus, and you're just fired up. I mean, you're reading your Bible. You're showing up to church early. You're, you're attending small groups. And then at some point, what happens for all of us is we get 
plateaued there. You know, something seems to kind of level off and the passion just isn't there as much anymore. And the, the vigor to, to attend small groups and read your Bible just does not seem to happen as much. And, and you get a reality of current you. You realize that, man, current me is not what I thought was going to be in life. And, you know, there's, there's, man, I'm really noticing some glaring weaknesses in my life. And then we, because we've been reading our Bible and pursuing God and all these things, we start to see this whole picture of what God has for the imagined us, the idea of what he had for each of us when he designed us, when we were putting on our mother's move, man, he had this incredible purpose and plan for our lives. And we, we're looking at the current us and we're like, man, there's this huge gap here. And, and how are we gonna fill that? And last week we talked about the fact that, you know, we should fill that with Christ. But what we have the tendency to do is we think, man, we have this grace for salvation but that grace doesn't necessarily apply to our everyday living. And that grace in our life is not the fuel that drives us to be the person that God intended us to be. And so what we have a tendency to do is we try to fill that gap through human effort. And so some of us, we go out there and we try to fake it. We try to fake this gap. We go out there and we just act like we got it all together. Um, you know, we walk into church and we have all the, the, the Christianese lingo. I'm blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We know all the, the things that we're supposed to say. And we just act like there is no gap here. We just act like, man, we've got it all going on, man. We're all that in a bag of chips and nobody is denying it. And so some of us, some of us fake it. There's others of us that we work it. We work the system. And what we do is, uh, is we go out there and we think if it's miserable, it must be spiritual. And so we just fill our lives with all kinds of things that we think, oh, this is going to make me this person. If I, if I cross every T and I dot every I and uh, I'm, I do 37 different devotionals every day. And if I, if I act like I'm praying really good and if I serve at every other opportunity, man, I'm going to fill this gap somehow by working the gap closed. Then there's some of us out there that our, our tendency, and this is probably the tendency in the American church, is we like to switch it. We just like to switch it. And what that basically means is we like to switch spiritual venues. We th say to ourselves, you know what? It's not my fault. It must be the pastor's fault. It's got to be that worship leader's fault. I mean, he just didn't sing the way that I like this week, and so another church is going to fill that gap for me. Or, you know, maybe you grew up Pentecostal, and, and you, you like the... the rambunctiousness of a service with people running around and screaming and yelling and all that stuff. And you say, you know what, but I want something a little bit more calm. And so you become a Baptist and you think, man, this is going to fill the gap. And so we try to fill the gap by switching spiritual venues. And, and we try to hope that somebody else will fill, fill that for us. But a lot of us, we just quit it. We just decide we're going to quit it basically we're going to settle for a life of mediocrity and uh, you know I see the current me and the life that it could be and I have the hope of salvation over here because I found Christ but you know getting to there is just a lot of work and I don't really see how I'm ever going to fill that gap and so we just quit it and we just settle and uh, and it's a it's a horrible and terrible thing that a lot of us fall into and and um, and what we talked about last week is that Jesus is the only one that can truly fill that gap the only one that can truly fill that gap between current you and imagined you is, is the son, Jesus Christ. And we are to pursue him passionately with all that we, ha that we have in our life. And, and what we, we talked about is the unfortunate thing is that we focus on two major aspects of Christ's life, which kind of give us a skewed view of who Jesus is. We focus on the supernatural birth, which we call Christmas, and we so focus on the supernatural death and resurrection of Christ, which we call Easter. And so because we focus on those two entities, we focus on the beginning and the end. We miss 
miss out on everything in between of what Christ did and how he really wanted us to live here on earth. What did he want our daily lives to look like? And so we missed and we don't, we don't even take a look at how he lived. Now, I, I want you guys to kind of lean in here and pay attention because I know that this is review for some of you guys and it's not real exciting, but... Uh, during the time of the Enlightenment, there were some theologians that were out there, and they were looking at the life of Christ, and they said, you know what? We don't really believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, we think that he was a good man. We actually think that he was an amazing teacher, but we don't really believe that he was the Son of God. And then another set of theologians came along at the same time and said, whoa, 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 we think you're crazy. We don't think that that's true. We actually believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't, he wasn't a teacher, man. He was the Son of God. He came to sin, save us and set us free from all of sin and damnation. And, and I fall into that category. But somewhere in that argument, this whole idea that Jesus was a teacher got missed. This whole thought that, that Jesus wanted to come and teach our life. And this role of teacher, man, it, it just got messed up. And what has happened in our culture, and, and Matt Chandler says it's amazing, is that we have this massive humanity that has had a collision with Jesus and has this hope of heaven. But the functionality of the gospel in their lives is not visible. We have a ton of people that have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they have the hope of heaven, which is an amazing thing. Don't think that I'm downplaying that at all, because that is amazing. But you haven't trusted Jesus with your life. You've trusted him for eternity, but not your life. And a pastor named John Ortberg, who, is, who has been a, an amazing influence on my life as, as far as di discipleship and different things, uh, he grew up kind of Baptist, and so, and I understand that because my parents sent me to a Christian school as a kid, and they made us do kind of crazy things, but he said, for so many uh, uh, of, of the people like myself that grew up in that kind of environment, we focused so much on evangelism, and we focused on one question, and what they would do is they would send us door to door, and they would have us ask, what is this one question? If you were to die, where are you going to go? Has anybody ever experienced that? Somebody come knock on your door? It's a real uh, personable way to start a conversation. You go knock on their door. Hey, my name's TJ. You don't really know me. But if you were to die tonight, um, do you know where you're going to go? Man, we've got a deep relationship there, don't we? I mean, it's really, it's really awesome. I mean, everybody loves that, that conversation. Um, and so we, we focused on that, and, and, and that's cool. We've made that focus on eternity. But he says the real question should be, what happens if you don't die tonight? What happens if you do not die tonight? And a lot of us are facing that question. A lot of people in the world are facing that question today. What if you make, wake up tomorrow and you're still alive? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to trust with your life? Who are you going to make your teacher for life? Who is going to guide and direct your life and where you want to go? Because I think the, the question that almost everybody can answer yes to, and I hope that we can, is, is, is the question of where are you going to go if you were to die tonight? But the question that a lot of us probably cannot answer is if we wake up tomorrow, who is going to be leading and guiding and directing our life? Who is going to be that person that is our Lord? And spiritual development and this whole idea of discipleship, is coming to grips with the belief that, that Jesus is who he said he was and what he said about our lives and the truth that he spoke into being is still true for us today. And he still wants to move in our lives. And so the question that I have is, do you trust what Jesus taught about life? Do you trust what Jesus taught about your possessions? Do you trust what Jesus taught about your career? Do you trust what Jesus taught about your relationships? Do you trust what Jesus taught about all these different aspects of life? 
Because many of you said, man, I, I trust him with eternity, and that is awesome, but do we really, really trust him with our life? And this is a critical question for us to answer, because if we can't trust him, we can't follow him. If we can't trust Jesus, how are we going to follow him to the ends of the world? And trust is such a big thing. I remember as a kid, um, I have a little sister. She's my stepsister. And as a kid, I love to torment her. Um, and, and every older sibling loves to torment their younger siblings. One of the games that we would play is it would get really dark in our house, like pitch black. And what I would do is I would tell her to follow my voice, follow my voice, follow my voice, and kind of lead her around obstacles and stuff around inside of our house and outside. And, uh, you know, I guess this is probably the reason God has not allowed me to be a parent because of this exercise with her. He's like, you're not fit for parenthood. I don't know. Um, but I would, you know, I'd be, follow me, follow me, follow me. And, and I remember this one time I was saying, follow me, follow me. And we were outside by our pool area, and she did not follow me and walked right into the pool. And I was like, why did you not follow my voice? And she said, well, because I didn't trust you. And I mean, she had good reason to because I would, I would run her into walls and different things. I mean, there was good reason for her not to trust me. But the same is true with Jesus. How can we follow him if we don't trust him? And if you read through the Gospels and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see throughout the Gospels that Jesus is referred to as a rabbi. And a rabbi in the, the biblical days was somebody who taught and, and they would have followers with them and, and they had a certain set of teachings. And so people would say, you know what, I really uh, agree with those teachings and so I'm going to follow this rabbi. I'm going to follow follow what he believes and what he teaches. And so they would start to subscribe to that person. You know, it's not like today where we can go online to iTunes and subscribe to a lot of different pastors and follow a, diff a lot of different people. Back then it was like, man, you would pick one person. You would say, you know what? I believe that this person has the most truth of any person that I found. And I'm gonna follow what he says about life and the way he, the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. And what it was called when you would subscribe to a rabbi and say, you know what? I'm gonna follow his teaching as it was said that you were gonna, you were gonna take on his yoke is you were going to follow the things that he believed in his lifestyle and his way of life that that was going to become your lifestyle and your way of life and so throughout scriptures you'll see where they would they would say you know what if you followed a rabbi because you thought man that was the rabbi that was going to take you to the purpose and plan that God had for you and so my question for you today is before you leave it's really a yes or a no answer and um and I think it's a really really important question for each one of us, and, and that is this. Have you made Jesus your rabbi? Have you made him your teacher? Because it's awesome if he's our savior. I mean, that is great. But is he more than that to us? Is he more to that? Is he going through, is, is he gonna, is, are you gonna follow what he says about all aspects of life? And today, what we're gonna kind of do is we're gonna kind of dive in just to some scripture. We're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter five, and we're gonna be looking at the Sermon on the Mount because this was some of the greatest teaching that Jesus ever broke off and taught to people. It was, it was out of this world, and we're just gonna see what are some of the things that Jesus says about our lives, the way that we should be living our lives. If he is truly gonna be our teacher, if he's gonna truly be our rabbi, if he's truly gonna be our Lord. And so we're gonna take a look at Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And you'll see this beginning a lot. You'll say, you've heard it said. Basically what Jesus was saying here is conventional wisdom says, you know, everybody says, everybody kind of knows this, that you shouldn't commit murder. 
And, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we've heard that before. And he says, you know, now, let me just ask you a question. Is not murdering somebody going to help you close the gap between the current you and the imagined you? Not, not really. I mean, it's going to keep you out of prison, and that's a good thing. But it's not really going to close that gap in your life. You know, but, you know, that's not really what it's going to do. Because nobody, in, in, you know, I, I haven't come home and said, sweetheart, you're never going to believe this. I'm growing spiritually. I didn't kill anybody today. It's a good day, man. Jesus and I, we're here, you know. Nobody says that. And, and so Jesus goes on. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Skipping down, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, his conventional wisdom says, you know, don't do this and don't do that. You know, conventional wisdom tells you not to go murder. And what Jesus is really speaking to here, what he's really talking about is he's saying it's not about behavioral modification. It's about spiritual transformation. It's about a renovation happening in your heart. And listen, we can go on and we can try to modify our behavior all day long. We can make sure that we are not murdering, but that is not closing the gap at all as to what I wanna do in your life. But he says, listen, if you follow me, if you want to take on my yoke, if you want to really follow my teachings, listen, if you have anger in your heart, you need to go deal with that stuff because here's the reality. That anger that is in your heart is causing this gap to widen in your life. It's not causing it to come closer. It's actually pushing you away relationally from where I want you to be. And in fact, I want you to go deal with that stuff. And they're like, really, seriously? He's like, yeah, man. In fact, before you even come and listen to any more of my teaching, before you go and sing our God again, man, go talk to the person that you have some some distress about or you have some angst with or you have some anger towards or, and you have some bitterness and go make that thing, that thing right because it's gonna close the gap between the current you and where I wanna take you. And then you can come back and man, we can sing all day long and we can listen to good preaching. That doesn't really mean get up and leave right now or anything too, so and just. And if you stop and you think about it for a minute, Think about your life. Think about if when you were confronted with a situation where there was some anger or there was some resentment or there was some bitterness in your life, you dealt with it right away. How different would your life look today? Think about the relationship with your parents. How different would it look if you would have dealt with that right away? Think about your marriage today. Your marriage could still be together if you would have dealt with that today. Think about your kids. Think about at your work. How different would your life be if it wasn't about behavioral modification but about a transformation of our heart? Really truly believing what Jesus said, listening to him as our teacher and saying, you know what, it's, it's He's trying to close the gap relationally for us. Let's look at some other stuff. Let's look at, let's look at uh, Matthew, verse 6 and 1. It says, or actually Matthew 5, 27 and 29, I'm sorry. It says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. 
Man, see, he, he, what he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, it's not about behavioral modification. It's about what's going on inside of you. The transformation, the things that I want to do are not something that is necessarily seen exterior-wise. It's something that's happening on the inside of you because I'm not coming home at night and Shayla is not giving me a high five because I didn't sleep with our neighbor. Man, she wants to know that inside of me that I have not looked at another woman lustfully, that my eyes are completely and fully for her. And what Jesus is saying to us is saying, man, we got to start looking at our lives, not just at what we're doing, but how we're thinking, what is going on inside of our mind. He's wanting to get to the intentions of our heart rather than the actions of our life because he knows that the actions are just a reflection of the intentions. And so if we'll start looking at the intentions within our heart, if we start looking at those things, he's saying, listen, this gap right here, this gap between current you and imagine you, man, it's going to start to shrink. It's going to start to shrivel down. and You're going to look more and more like the person that I intended for you to be. Let's look at Matthew 6, 1. It says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men or to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on their streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, you, they have received their reward in full. And this is such a huge thing. And this is so big for closing the gap because for so many of us, Man, we're out there and, and we're, we're saying all these prayers and we're trying to read 37 different books that we don't understand and we're trying to uh, serve at every single thing and, and we're trying to do all this stuff not because we want to close the gap but because we want to be seen. And for a lot of us, a lot of those things in our lives have become about me. It's I want you to see where I'm at and what I'm doing. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, man, listen, it's got to become not about you. It's got to become not about you. But it's so easy to get the tendency is to focus on us. It's about me. It's, a, it's about what I'm doing. It's about people want to see me. In fact, I remember a couple years ago after uh, one of the services at my old church, I'd gotten done speaking on a Saturday night, and I was at Walmart picking up some things. And I was, I was walking around Walmart, and I was in the grocery store area, and, and, and some lady walks up, and she's like, man, that, that was a great message this weekend. Man, I really appreciate you sharing your heart. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. And, and I go down the next aisle, and I see somebody else from our church, and they're like, oh, man, I've just loved what this church has done. It's just been incredible in my life. And my kids, they just love God so much more than they've ever loved. I'm like, that's awesome. And I kind of just went into this church mode. And, uh, and this is kind of a confession almost. But there's like a church mode that you kind of go into. And it's, you know, when you guys are walking in and I see a baby and I'm like, oh, that's such a cute baby and stuff. You know, when you do that out in real life, people kind of think you're like a pervert, you know. Um, but, it, like, out here is totally cool. You know, you can be like, hey, man, what's up? You know, and, and everybody's cool with that. You can give high fives and, and hugs and all those things. And so, you know, I just kind of switched in that mode, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And I was in the electronics section walking around checking out movies in case we wanted to buy a movie for my wife and I to watch later that night. And, and I saw this lady walking towards me, and she was smiling. And so I thought, man, I don't really remember her, but, you know, she's smiling at me. And so I kind of walked up and kind of just did the, the side hug thing. Hey, how's it going, you know? And, uh, and, and, and it, it, she just looked at me kind of awkward, like, I don't know you. And she said, uh, I was just wondering, is this movie any good? <laughs> you know, and I felt like that big. 
you know, and how do you respond? I, I just didn't want to respond. I just walked away, and <laughs> it was just, it's just awkward, you know. And I guess that's why I became a high-fiver now. I don't really do the side hug thing anymore. We high-five because I don't want that awkwardness. But, but here's the thing, man. It just got into this mode where it was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm putting on the show. It's all about me. It's all about me. And so many of us, what happens in our life is we get put into this, this show of like, man, it's, it's all about me. Uh, yet our tendency is just to, to focus on ourselves. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's saying, man, I want you to stop focusing on yourself. And I want you to, to check your ego. And I want you to check your pride. And I want you to start to live the, the life of humility. And as you start to, to humble yourselves and start to think about others and not yourself, man, it's going to start to close that gap. It's going to start to close that gap in your life. And we'll just continue to kind of toss the net out here in case we haven't, we haven't caught anybody yet. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, how many of us have really taken on Jesus' yoke and teaching when it comes to our possessions? How many of us have really fully embodied what he said with what we should do with our possessions? And I, would, I, I mean, I'm just going to answer it for, for most of us. Most of us, we haven't. It's why we're in the financial economic meltdown that we're in today. We have ne- not taken personal responsibility for our finances in life. And we are, we're blaming the government. We're blaming uh, big banks. We're blaming wealthy people for being greedy. We're blaming all these other people. But, but Jesus said, you know what, we're to have responsibility. And there's a different way of life than rather just gathering, 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 the gathering. Because here's the thing. God wasn't really interested in our money. He was interested in our heart, in all of this stuff. And I think God didn't talk about giving and he didn't teach about giving because he needed our money. He talked about those things because he developed the best plan to reach people all throughout the world. And that's, and that's to give and to be generous. But more than anything, the reason he talked about it is because giving helps us understand our utter dependence on God. Because when we look to money, all of a sudden that becomes our source of everything. And you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's how we're going to make every single decision in life. It's how we're going to do all those things. Rather than depending on what God would truly want for our lives. And Jesus is hitting this issue head on. And he's saying, listen, there is something different that is not going to determine your utter dependent. And it's going to change everything for you. And if you will just trust me in this area, it will totally transform your life. Because your dependence will not be on your stuff and your things anymore. Your dependence will be on me. And Scott wrote in his book, Stewards of the Kingdom, he wrote this, and I think it's so good. He said, we must never for a single moment lose sight of the stark realization that whenever we deal with money, we are dealing with the dynamite. What is one day that which we can control, next day becomes our controller. Such dynamite must be diffused, and the greatest diffuser that we as Christians have at our disposal is the opportunity to take that which seeks to dominate us and simply give it away. There is no greater expression of money's lack of total dominance over us or its low priority in our lives when we can take with joy and peace and give it away for the Lord's work. Now, here's the thing. Every time you accept Jesus' yoke, you accept Jesus' teaching for any area of your life, whether that's your, your relationships, whether that's your finances, whether that's your ego, whether that's your thoughts, those things, as we take those on, they start to narrow this gap. They start to bring this gap much closer together. 
And we look more and more like Jesus. We look more and more like him. This is kind of a stark reality. Uh, I was, as I was studying this, year, t- this past week, this says, I found this statistic that said the total income of American churchgoers is $5.2 trillion. How many can say that's a lot of money? That's a lot of money right there. Do you know that it would take just 1% to take a billion of the poorest people in the world and take them out of extreme poverty? Do you know that 50% of the, of the worldwide church's wealth, 50% is in America. 50%. Do you know what kind of transformation could take place in the world if we really trusted what Jesus said about our stuff? And I know so many people, they say, you know what, I, I just, you know, if God was this loving God and he really cared about people, why would there be poverty in the world? Why would there be hunger and people dying uh, because of lack of clean water? Why would all these things be happening? And I, well, this is what I think. I think God loves people and he's given us everything that we need to make sure that those people are taken care of. We just don't trust him enough with it to allow us to do those things. We've said, you know what, I don't know if I can do without that and so I'm gonna hold on to But what if we trusted what Jesus taught? What if we truly, truly trusted what he talked about giving? What if we truly trusted we talked about relationships? What if we truly trusted we talked about with our ego and our pride? What if we were to wear his yoke and do life his way? How much different would our lives look? How much closer to Jesus would we be? How much more would we be to being the imagined you that God thought of all along. And here's the deal, you know, so many of us, we want this to be an instantaneous, instantaneous thing. We just want to snap from current us to imagined us, don't we? I mean, we live in fast food society today. But this is the thing, this is a process. This is not an overnight thing. This is a daily thing. And so some of us, man, we get real pumped up and we're like, man, I'm going after God. And we're, we live for God one day and we're like, man, I'm, I'm the Christian of the year. And the next day we fall flat on our face. And we got to recognize, man, that this is a process of closing this gap. It's a process, and if, if we'll follow the process and we'll start to be obedient to the teaching that Jesus had for our lives, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to close that gap. But the first thing you've got to do in order to close that gap is you have got to trust him. Because everything else from getting him from the back seat of your life to the front seat rises and falls on your trust with him. Everything else will become null and void if you don't trust him, because if you don't trust him, you can't follow him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm just guessing that a large majority of us here, man, that we feel that way, man. We're, we're worried and we're burdened, and man, we could just use some rest in our life. And Jesus is talking primarily to a people that were extremely burdened at that time, and they were trying to work out their salvation, man. They were trying to do all this stuff, doing all the behavioral modification to try to close the gap in their lives, and they were just frustrated. And he's talking to these people that are just tired of trying to do it on their own and filling the gap. And he's saying to me, and he's saying to you, man, all you've tried to fill the gap by, by faking it, man, stop it. All of you who are out there that are exhausted by trying to work that gap, man, stop it. 
All of you guys that are out there that are tired of switching venues, trying to, trying to find the place that's going to close the gap for you, man, stop it. All of you guys that are just treading water because you've just quit it and said, you know what, I'm just going to be who I am. This is who I am. I am who I am. And man, he says, man, take my yoke. He says, take my teaching upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, man, my, my teaching is not, is not this extreme thing that you're, you have to follow all these rules and regulations. It's actually really easy. It's just looking at what's going on inside of you. It's checking your heart. John 7, 37 and 38, it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Again, it's that idea that of people that are thirsty, people that are, that are out there that are, looking for satisfaction and looking for meaning in life. He says, man, all of you guys that don't feel like you're growing, that you don't feel like you're becoming the imagined you, man, just come to me. Come to me. And he said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. He says, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, listen, not only will I quench your thirst, that's kind of a given, but I'm going to do something so much different that rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. And what he's saying is that as you follow me, as you're closing this gap, that love, joy, peace, uh, self-control, righteousness, all these things are going to start to come into your life and the way that you have relationships and the way that you steward your finances and the way that you live your life, the way that you love your wife, the way that you parent your kids, all those things other people are going to say, see and they're going to all of a sudden say, you know what, that is the kind of life that I've always wanted to live. And all of a sudden your life Life is going to be filled with purpose. Your life is going to be filled with meaning because you're closing the gap between the current you and the imagined you. And when we close that gap, we become rivers of living water, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And don't all of us dream at night when we lay down saying, God, I want to do something significant with my life. Man, God, I want you to do something with me. I don't want to just live a mundane and ordinary life. I don't want to just live a life of mediocrity, but I know you've got something so much more for me. I know you want to do something purposeful in my life. And Jesus is saying, man, as you pursue me, as you close this gap, as you deal with those things relationally, man, as you deal with anger in your heart, man, as you're starting to look at the internal intentions and not changing your behavior, man, I'm going to close Close the gap in your life. And you're going to start to become the person that I imagined you to be. And as you pursue me, man, all this comes together. Stop pursuing all those things. Stop trying to make it work all on your own. Trust me. Trust me. Stop trusting in your ability. Stop trusting in your stuff. Stop trusting in your relationships. And start trusting in the one thing that you have given your life security for eternity for. Why not give your life to the daily aspect of it? Which is making me your teacher. And I will show you the life that you have always dreamed of. The life that you were intended to live from the beginning of time. But it starts with trusting. And when we can trust, we can follow. Let's pray.